This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited about today because we've got a fantastic human being on the program. We've got Jenny Conkin. Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Hallway House. And Adam, you know, I think back to Clint Murphy being on the show. Sure. Okay. And you often think about I that. I often think back to Clint Murphy on the show. But he pointed out, you know, he's been listening to the program over some amount of time. I don't know how much. And he said, you know, you can see the show becoming more what evolved. established, evolved, more of an institution. Yeah. We have the disclaimer at the front. We have advertising. We have whatever, better production. Who knows? Now we have a charity that we are getting behind and supporting over the rest of this year and hopefully beyond. And that is Holy House. And Jenny is the co-founder of this organization. Your, your WWCMD tattoo is showing. That's the, what would Clint Murphy do uh, <laughs> that you got on your lower back and bicep, but you got it in two spots. The lower back was hard to see. So you had to get it on your arm. Here's the thing about Jenny Conkin. We met her through Natalie Janae, Natalie uh, Janae who's another like great a phenomenal human. person as well. And Natalie was like, so we, we've been actively seeking out for years, actually. We've been, we've, we've wanted to work with We've someone. approached some charities over the years and, and nothing seemed to really Click. Click. But I feel like this is a, a phenomenal part, partly because so Jenny Conkin first is she's a business person. She's right. like a business mind. She's top 40 under 40. Yeah. She is in love with the city, I would say, in kind of a, a crazy way or in a way that feels like it jives with our audience, like yeah. the VREP community. 100%. She really understands real estate investing because that's her background. Right. So she understands what landlords are doing. She understands the dynamic, the issues going on in the city, which most of this conversation is. It's not much of a departure from what we do here day in, day out in terms of the type of conversation we're having, except she's looking to fix things through community building. This is the thing, right? She took over and we'll let her explain exactly her trajectory, but it's an incredible one taking over buildings that her grandparents ran Seeing the issues, isolation, loneliness, all in the downtown east side. And she and her brother came up with tangible ways to build community. And now they're doing it across, not only in the downtown east side, across multiple buildings, but across the lower mainland, working with low-income seniors, veterans, families, and other vulnerable residents. And it's a really really positive story and they're seeing real results. Yes. And they've been doing this. It's not like they started this yesterday. They've been doing this for more than a decade. 2013, they started. They were imperative in COVID getting food to seniors trapped in, in their rooms where they couldn't leave in the depths of COVID. And Natalie Janae was, was there 
literally with Jenny delivering food door to door in the depths of COVID. It's an incredible, incredible story. And it's so great that we can get behind Holy House and support them. Yeah, I, I, I love this conversation. And I think anybody who's invested in the city needs to hear it. Before we get to that, Matt, some housekeeping. Right. We've got the new site up. We've had a lot of positive feedback. If you haven't checked out the new site, it's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. I also want to mention, partly I'm thinking about it because Jenny Conkin is big on Instagram. Uh, she's constantly, she actually, it, it caught me off guard. Yeah. She kind of walked in on, I don't know if she was the live The only other time I got nailed like that was Todd Talbot. Two big personalities. Uh, yeah, Todd's in, never in, not without ne Never not Instagramming, but yeah. Jenny was Instagrammed the, I feel like we were live streaming the conversation. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun and she's got a big personality, so it makes sense. But here's the thing. We are doing a lot on our Instagram. And the nicest thing is I really feel like I'm learning a ton, not about Instagram, but about real estate on right. our Instagram. And the reason I say that is because we just recently in the comments section, we had an agent from Vancouver Island who talked about like some of the best investments that he's seeing. He literally sent over. He sent he over like down a, a, a spreadsheet. Uh, yeah. Of So it's like, there's so much coming out of the content and the conversations and the, and the uh, discussions on Instagram. And I just did not expect that when we started. Right. Um, if you're part of the VREF community, you want to head over. We are at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. You're probably going to learn something. I was looking for likes and I found community. Let's cut to our conversation <laughs> with Jenny Conkin. Speaking of community, Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sonehouse, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam, with 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds. Sonehouse offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Jenny Conkin. She is the president and CEO, co-founder of Holway House. And I got to say it because you were top 40 under 40, which is a big deal. No big deal. But uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Jenny. And, and nice, to, nice to have you on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. It was uh, great to have you guys down at Holway House. Yeah, we were down at Holway House and heard a bit about the story, which is incredible. Um, maybe for people who have not heard of Holway House, 
Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Hallway House? Yeah, absolutely. So at Hallway House, we partner with nonprofit uh, housing providers to provide on-site community building programs and tenant support services for low-income seniors, veterans, people in transition out of recovery and homelessness uh, to ensure that they don't just have housing, but they have a home. So we're there to build healthy communities in housing. We're mostly in the downtown east side, but we've now grown across the lower mainland, which is really exciting. And it hasn't, Holy House hasn't been around all that long. Well, we just had our 10-year anniversary. So we were founded in 2013. And we started actually, my grandparents used to own SROs in the downtown east side. So although Holway House was only 10 years old, I've been around the downtown east side my entire life, which is very close to my heart. So One thing we haven't talked about, but your grandparents, were they real estate investors or how did they get into uh, owning the SROs? Yeah. So they have a, a very classic Vancouver immigrant story. They came to Canada um, really wanting to uh, have a better life for their family. And my grandfather was working with churches and he didn't want to take a salary from the church. So on the side, they started developing real estate uh, to provide income for their family. And my grandmother was very business savvy, although she had like a grade three education and barely spoke English, still barely speaks English, but very Italian go-getter. And she was able to purchase these buildings in the downtown east side. So, you know, back then they were called hotels. It was the Silver and Avalon Hotel. And eventually they were turned into single room occupancy buildings. But growing up, I watched my grandmother. Those were the buildings that she never sold. They were so close to her heart. And it was mostly uh, single men who were either looking for work kind of in industrial neighborhood there and living on their own, often with different struggles and barriers. Maybe they struggle with addiction or mental health issues. But she really became like the mom or the grandma, the Nona to everybody, you know, cooking for them and taking care of them. And growing up, I always heard her like yelling in the hallways. My grandfather would be like fixing a sink or something. And she's like, Mr. McGill, you have to get up. You take a shower today. You know, she was really like, (laughs) she played that motherly role in their lives. So I think that really brought that into our family that uh, to care for people who were who were struggling or who were hurting. I remember when we were talking offline about it, you mentioned your Nona yelling at, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> yelling up the stairs and things like that. And it strikes me as that hallway house kind of has a similar like there's a there's a clear through line in how communities created yeah. um, between your Nona and and now. In your mind, did the the hotels or the SROs that your grandparents run, like were they different than other SROs at the time in the downtown east side? Yeah, I think there was always something very special there. Um, often, even as I took over running the buildings, people remembered my grandparents. I've heard story after story. Um, you know, your grandfather saved my life. I wouldn't have come out of this if they had not given me a place to stay. I had no money. Or your grandparents would give me little odd jobs. They they gave me a hand up. And that really inspired, to be honest, how we started Hallway House. And I'll just share, like, when my brother and I first took over managing the buildings, we came in thinking we had both come from very successful careers. I had been doing real estate as well as uh, working in the restaurant industry. My brother was getting into engineering. And we just thought we would come in and, like, save the downtown east side. Like, why can't we fix all these problems? We'll hook everyone up with jobs. I'll write them resumes and we'll get clothes and food and kind of that outward thing that we all see as we go through the downtown east side. Like, why can't we just clean this up? And as we began to work there, we really recognized that, yes, those were issues. Those are things that we we need to work on. However, the core issue that we were facing was such isolation and loneliness. People living under shame, and so they're not even accessing the resources or getting the help that they need and deserve to really take a step forward in their lives. 
And that was something I think my grandparents gave them was dignity. There was always a sense of like family there, but, and, and like very unconditional love. However, as anyone knows, in a family and with love that comes with accountability, that comes with dignity, that comes with an exchange of respect. Um, and so there was really like, I remember my grandfather ran a tight ship. And when I took over, I did the same thing. When someone would move in, I'm like, hey, I would love for you to live here. We really want to create this really safe and healthy environment for you to live. And I believe everyone deserves a good night's sleep and, you know, to not be afraid in your own home. Um, but that that means contribution. That means if you're going to live here, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to contribute to following those rules and, and having a safe space to live? And so that's really how we got started. So it sounds almost like it doesn't matter how much, how many resources you throw at the problem if at the individual level, people aren't willing to accept. So that, that sounds like a broken system that you went into. Absolutely. And that's, and we really saw, you know, I went in as a taxpayer going, I don't want to start another thing. I don't want to start another thing if if it's already being done. So my brother and I, my brother's name is Josh. We really sat down and thought about this. We're like, well, what did we have that somebody here didn't have? What was the difference? And really, there was that sense of family and support and health. And we saw that that wasn't there. And so people were so disconnected. When I first got there in the first few months, there was a gentleman who passed away in his room. And I'd never had to deal with something like that before. It was really heartbreaking for me. But as I went, I was like, you know, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And I'm asking the other 84 tenants in the building, you know, who was this guy? Who do I phone? Did he have family? Did he have an ex-wife? Anything, anyone I can call him. Everyone's like, knew nothing about him. Most of them didn't even know his name. And I realized I'm like, I might not be able to fix the entire downtown east side, but I can fix that. People don't need to live completely alone and then die alone. And really, we saw that people were so disconnected. They felt so isolated that there was no health or community. So we really started with something so simple. I started like pounding the pavement, finding out who was out there that we could partner with. I didn't want to start spending money on things that already exist. Um, also, we had no funding, so everything's going on my credit card. And we started with like a simple family dinner. We need to sit down. We need to eat together, not sit in a food lineup or stand in a food lineup and then go eat by yourself. That's such a cycle of depression. That's such and a cycle of like... I remember you saying that before and sorry to cut you off, yeah. but that people would get food and then take it back to their rooms and yeah. then it's... And you change that. Yeah. So what we saw was people relied on food lineups and and then you eat alone. And so the first time I ever made a family dinner, I was so excited. I partnered with Quest Food Exchange. They gave me all this tortellini and I was like... Pfft. Amazing. I can work with tortellini. So I'm like cooking all day for 85 men. Most of the men who lived in our building had come, you know, out of the system, been through incarceration, been homelessness, all different stories. And so as I was cooking and preparing, I wanted it to look really beautiful. I came from restaurants. I set up the tables. I, you know, made it feel really nice, had music on. And as I'm preparing, uh, nobody was coming down. And I'm like, okay, that's okay. Like, you know, they're shy. And at four o'clock when dinner's supposed to start, I still have nobody there. And now I'm mad because my food's getting cold. I'm like, well, I'm just going to go upstairs and yell like my Nona would. I'm like, I'm just going to go bring them downstairs. And honestly, as I turned the corner, the guys had actually started lining up. They brought their own plates. And I was like, oh, I was like, no, this isn't a food lineup. Like we're going to sit down and we're going to eat together. And it took a while to break that habit. It took a while to build that culture of community and enjoying a meal. Like I think that's so special and it's something that got lost. But also then what I saw was every time time I did a family dinner, which was every Wednesday, they wanted to help. So they would come down beforehand and be like, can I help with something? Do you need anything? And so they would set the tables or they would stay afterwards and help with the dishes. And I was like, that's human nature. We don't want a handout. We want a hand up. Sometimes I, sometimes I need help. Absolutely. All of us need help at some point. But they were really looking to be able to contribute as well. And I think especially 
you know, working with men who had previously maybe worked in a trade or worked in different industries and now didn't have an opportunity, they want to feel useful. They want to feel purpose. And every person has gifts and talents. And when we solely do aid, and we see this obviously in the downtown east side, it takes away, it strips away people's pride. It strips away their opportunity to give. And no matter what that is, if it if it's helping set a table or if it's, you know, doing art or it's doing something that you feel important and you feel, you know, special, that's going to rebuild somebody. And that was the second issue that we saw was they didn't have an, an opportunity to have purpose. And so at Whole Way House, our three, our three pillars are reconnect, rebuild, and recenter. And that rebuild is giving people a chance to have a hand up, to, to say, what can you do? What, how do you want to help? And people want to help. And I think when we take that away, we're not allowing people to grow and we're not allowing people to, we're going to still see this cycle. This cycle will continue. Unless we give people an opportunity to contribute, and for everybody that's different, that that doesn't mean everybody goes and gets a forty hour a week job. That means what what do you have to contribute? Right. What do you want to do today? And until they reconnect first and have that safe place to have community, to have health, that rebuild won't come either. This is a really big question, and I'm not sure. <laughs> it, it it seems like we could we could talk about this for hours. But what what have we got wrong with the downtown east side? That's a tiny question. I don't know wait, what you're talking you know, about. <laughs> but but wait a second before we before we get to that because one thing that's a little bit unclear to me is you were in the private sector, you were in real estate and and the restaurant industry. Your your brother was too. Like, did you think you'd end up running a an organization like the Holy House? And then we can kind of get to the to the bigger issues. Yeah. But but I mean, I, can we talk about what like the steps? What happened mm. in your life through? you know, seeing your Nona running a, an SRO to hallway house because they're, they're very different things as well, right? Absolutely. No, I never saw myself running a charity. In fact, when I first started, I truly felt so unequipped. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So in 2009, my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He was only 48 years old. It was really shocking for me. And I felt like I had lost this sense of control in my corporate life. I was definitely a workaholic. I was always trying to prove myself. I always wanted to feel good enough. And I'll be honest, I just had this like moment of surrender to God. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and please don't take my dad. And I just was, so at that time I wanted to spend more time with my family. I realized if I stayed in that world that I was in, I wasn't going to make that a priority. And so I went to work with my, my parents had a marriage seminar and I was helping them behind the scenes um, with some PR, but also at the same time was helping my grandmother uh, run the buildings. And even at that time, I still didn't picture running a charity. I just was going to be a building manager. And when that gentleman passed away, his name was Jean-Francois. And when he passed away, I realized this was my purpose, was to help people recognize that they have worth and value and that there's something else for them. I also really saw that a lot of the people that we were working with had never seen what could be possible, what is possible on the other side. They were always just being told this is okay. And I was like, that's not okay. And I'd love to show you what is possible. What can love do? What can, you know, dignity and worth and value do? And so when we when we first started, for the first two years, we didn't start a charity. We were just working in the building, getting to know people, getting to know their names. I realized, like, nobody took the time to get to know their names. And so through that, then 
I was surrounded by incredible people who supported us. Like the president of Union Gospel Mission joined our board of directors. We started a board of directors. We had a lawyer reach out and do all of our everything for free. To this day, 10 years later, she still does everything for us for free. So it was like this business community came around me. The church came, like other people were just like, how can we help? How can we help? And I really want to point that out. I couldn't have done what I did without experts in their own field. A graphic designer who I knew reached out and was like, hey, I'm building my portfolio. Can I can I do a logo for you? Um, can I do, you know, can I help you design your website? Other people, someone made us an app. Like it was incredible. And we had no funding for years. We had no funding and we were able to do it because a business community said, I can't run a charity, but I can donate these services to you. And that was phenomenal for us. So when we when we finally started Whole Way House, Again, we just didn't have government funding until years later. And in 2017, BC Housing approached us and said, hey, what you're doing is helping stabilize housing. To be honest, the ripple effect. And so programs that we've run are things like morning coffee, family dinners, games, and then we do support services. So we help coordinate, you know, medical appointments, things like that. But it was truly from that, that as a landlord, my job became so easy It went from people fighting and neighbors breaking things. We had 134 infractions in our first city of Vancouver uh, inspection. I thought they were going to shut us down. It was all mostly caused by tenants. And by, you know, by our fourth inspection, we had three infractions because the tenants were so proud of their homes. They they had a place where they felt respected and they felt dignified because they were upheld to a standard to say, I believe in you. You are a contributing member of society and this can be a home. And we really saw such a change. So when BC Housing came, uh, we were able to replicate our programs to a building for seniors and veterans who had been homeless. And we were able to really uh, create programs that were designed for them. Um, but it's the exact same concept. Humans need connection, but not just connection and community because there's community, but then there's healthy community. And I think, you know, we all know you become like the five people you spend the most amount of time with, right? And so when you're around chaos all the time, that's that's what we see right now in the downtown side. And when you're, to your question, until we pro- create health, and healing, nothing will change. We can build unit after unit after unit. And of course we need housing. But I often say, I'm like, yes, we are facing a housing crisis, but until we face the heart crisis, we will not see change. Until we start helping people heal from the trauma that they've experienced, start feeling like they are actually a valuable member of society. And we want to have that exchange. We want to be, you know, contributing together uh, we won't see a change. You know, one thing that, um, and we kind of got introduced to you through how COVID played out. And it was kind of this interesting story that, you know, and I'll let you tell it, but in early COVID, everything shut down, everybody stayed home. And there was residents, seniors that were also staying home, but not actually getting fed. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of, uh, and, and, and how the, community. I know Ask Luigi, for instance, really helped there and how the community came together um, during COVID. We had been working only in the veterans manner at that time. So we partnered with them. However, as I got introduced to this new population of seniors in the downtown, he said, who had experienced homelessness, I started learning that seniors actually make up 24% of our homeless population in Metro Vancouver. And I'm going to guess nobody knows that because they are quiet. They come from a generation that doesn't ask for help. They don't want to receive a handout. And so as I was learning this, we were we were working with the provincial government trying to find a way to help seniors who are becoming homeless and not only reacting to those who are already homeless, but actually preventing more seniors from becoming homeless. And so when COVID hit, 
uh, as I walked off an airplane, uh, I was, I was about to go to Maui, uh, to vacation with my family and I, I got off the plane. It was March 13th and the world shut down. So I'm very thankful I got off that airplane, but we recognize that we're all being asked to self-isolate and the people who are the most vulnerable are seniors. However, low-income seniors living in housing have no access to food, for example. They don't have Costco or, you know, delivery. They don't know how to use a computer, all those different things. And they don't have the money for it. Um, It's expensive. And so we designed a meal delivery program. So within 48 hours, we were up and running delivering meals uh, funded through BC Housing. They were so incredible. They were so reactive with us, like responded so quickly. Um, So we were able to get meals door to door to the seniors living at the Veterans Manor. Within a couple of weeks, I realized we had hundreds, if not thousands of other seniors across the lower mainland who were not receiving any helps whatsoever. So I reached out to the business community. Um, people who had supported us over the years. So right across the street from us is Ask for Luigi on Alexander Street. And um, Jen and Nick Rossi are good friends of mine. They've been supporting Holway House for many years. And she, I reached out, I saw she had had to lay off 90 employees. I mean, everybody had to lay off everybody. And so I said, if would you help us create healthy meals for seniors um, if I can get the funding to feed them? And she said, absolutely, we'll do whatever we can. And even before I asked her that, her staff had been making meals for my staff. Uh, they were using whatever food they had left in their kitchens to feed my frontline staff who were who were working 12-hour days minimum. And so, and then the other one was the Dirty Apron and the Eden Cafe. So uh, we worked with Chef David Robertson for many years. He used to be on my board of directors. And they came together. And it was in, I was so thankful to work with the business community over the years because in times when I was in need, they were there for me. And now we were all able to like do this together and I could trust them and they knew what they were doing. So we expanded our meal delivery program across six different housing providers to 19 buildings within four days. We were up and running, delivering meals to 19 buildings with low-income seniors, people with disabilities, uh, vulnerable residents who were sick. And my staff were going in and doing door-to-door delivery, uh, which was incredible to see, you know, during that time when everyone was just in lockdown mode and they stepped up to the plate and they they came and said literally, literally and figuratively to the and provided plates of food at a very affordable cost so that we could help seniors, which was we ended up serving uh, nearly 300,000 meals and in about a year and a half. It was a lot. But I really trained, we went from three employees to 20 employees overnight. And I trained the staff to say, you're not DoorDash. Do not leave that those boxes of food at that door without saying hello, without checking in. How are you doing? Do you need anything? Because people were so afraid and we just wanted to be able to dispel a bit of that fear and keep people healthy mentally. Also with seniors, we saw their decline, like their cognitive decline, being alone all the time. Again, they don't have as much access to technology and things that kept other people connected. So we were their only human connection. Twice a week, they got to see a delivery staff and we were checking in and and making sure they were doing okay. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just 
feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. We've had a, a recent government change at the municipal level and, of course, at the provincial level, David Eby. Are you optimistic about about changes at the municipal and provincial level? I am. I think, well, I'll share. David Eby helped uh, before he became the premier. He was the minister of housing and our attorney general. And I had a 15-minute meeting with him. Uh, he was the catalyst for our pilot project. So we received a pilot project with BC Housing for low-income seniors buildings. Again, I was really on my soapbox saying, please, can we be proactive? The biggest critique of government is that we're always reactive and it's so expensive. It's so much more expensive to react to a problem than to be preventative. And we're seeing this stream of seniors becoming homeless. We're all seeing it. It's 24, like everyone in my sector can read the stats. And I said, please, can we look at supporting seniors in housing? We have over 200,000 seniors in renters in our province. And Thousands of them rely on subsidized housing. And so those seniors who are in subsidized housing are the ones who are the most at risk of slipping through the cracks. It's right between housing and health. They don't need to go to assisted living, but they need some support. So David Eby got me another meeting with BC Housing. And within the next 15 minutes, we had a pilot project up and running for a year. I will have the results of that coming out. But it's incredible to see a government that says, help us. You're an expert in this. Help us. How do we do this? And we already have the results. And not only that, they said, we're going to give you the funding to do a program evaluation. We want to make sure we have the data to back this up, that this is working. And I think something that's really important in our municipal government as well, and I I work with a few of the city councillors, and I'm really thankful that they actually take the time to come see what we're doing. Rebecca Bly and Pete Fry have been really involved in Holloway House, and I'm so thankful for that support. And what they've said is, this is what we need. We need compassionate care for people with accountability. We need to see that it's working. Are we moving forward? And if we're not, how do we adjust? How do we adapt what we're doing? How do we adapt the support services to ensure that this is actually helping, that we're actually reducing homelessness, that we're actually reducing the number of deaths, that we're you know helping people have dignified housing? Right. And you mentioned before there's an audit situation that you're potentially going to be involved in. Yeah. Like what what is that? Can you speak to that? What does that look like? And and one of the things I was just thinking of, and it it's speaks to what you just mentioned about looking at results. Obviously, we positive results are positive results, yeah. but how do you actually quantify the return on the investment as you as you mentioned, yeah. uh, I think offline before we 
went live. Yeah. Um, well, the city of Vancouver just hired an auditor general, which I think is a really responsible thing to do as taxpayers to have somebody going in and looking at our system. So he just actually released his first report on the uh, building permit fees the, on that system. Is it a good system? Are we being effective and efficient? Uh, so you can read that online in the city of Vancouver. But he asked me to join his his advisory committee. And I really appreciated that. It was under advisement and from city council because I sit on the seniors advisory committee as well. And to have somebody who goes in and, and audits how our our city is spending money, I think is a very wise thing to do. I think as taxpayers, that's something we want, right? How How is this working? Is it effective? Is it efficient? And I've always said, even though I run a charity, I do come from a business mentality and I look at an ROI, like, is what I'm doing effective? What is the return on the investment? The, the return on the investment is our people's lives being changed. Not only are we keeping people housed, our, our retention rate at the Veterans Manor, so bringing people in direct from homelessness or SROs, seniors who have been homeless or inappropriately housed, it was like 97%. That's unheard of. It's unheard of that people who have been homeless, there's a cycle of homelessness. And and what I saw when I was running an SRO, one thing I really recognized was, I was like, this is stupid. We spend all this money getting somebody housed and they finally get housed and then there's no support in place to help right. them remain housed. And so they become homeless again. I was like, is anybody noticing this? Like they stay a couple months maybe and then they either get evicted or because of behavior, because of damages, because of violence, or they've spent all their money, there's no rent anymore, or they just take off. And I I would hear the psychology behind it. They would say, oh, I'm staying at. Not I live at, I'm staying at. Because you don't even want to admit that you live here or that this is your home. And so with the Avalon, we saw that they actually, they, they took pride. They were like, fixing up their units. And they were like, look, come see, I put up decorations. And you, know, this was now a home because we connected them together and made it very healthy and safe. But again, there's that accountability there. And I think that's that's something that's missing. Hmm. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I think I think so. I think <laughs> sometimes, so. Sometimes I just go off on a tangent. No, but, but no, but it is, yeah, back to the to the idea of, of auditing. It, it strikes me that as you were speaking there, and I can't remember if it was CBC or Daily Hive or what. Somebody recently published photos of an SRO, I think, that yeah. were like, oh my God, that's why people, you know, when you go, oh, there's a unit, but they don't stay. You're like, oh, this is what the common bathroom looks like. Oh, no wonder you'd rather yeah. be in a tent right. that's your own. Yeah. Um, when you're speaking about this, I, I was thinking back to those images and thinking, you know, yeah, there's changes that have to, clearly something's not working Yeah. in the, the great majority of cases. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've, you know, I've worked a lot with, um, with the prison system and things, and I've heard people say, you know, just speak about how they can be and you don't know what they're capable of. I'm like, I work with them the day before prison. I work with them the day after prison and they don't treat me that way or they don't, so I really believe, and I and I teach my staff this, we set the tone, we set the atmosphere. Um, so for example, when you come to a whole way house program, if you came to, you know, a morning coffee program, every person that we work with has been capable of or has done things that would be, you know, illegal or inappropriate or disrespectful. However, we set up the atmosphere that when they walk in, they match it. You know, you match, you match the environment. And so you know, when you walk into a spa, nobody has to tell you to be quiet. There's like trickling water and low music and right, and you know to be quiet. And when you walk into Rogers Arena for a Canucks game, nobody has to tell you to yell and cheer and be loud and jump up and down because there's lights flashing and there's loud music and there's smoke everywhere. Right. So we do the same thing in our housing. We set the tone. I don't go in and be like, you need to change and you need to stop doing drugs and you need to... No, I just set the tone. Here's the atmosphere of respect. There's an atmosphere of... Literally, it's, it's a mutual exchange and people 
rise to the occasion. It's human nature. It is in our nature to rise to that set a bar and we will match it. We will meet it. And again, coming from a trauma-informed approach, I understand that I work with people who have gone through unbelievable abuse and trauma and horrific stories. I've heard horrific stories that I wish I didn't know. And honestly, I come to that with compassion and love and empathy. And then we set the tone to say, and you deserve better. You deserve to live in a home that is safe and clean and supportive. And you deserve to have friends and family around you. And so really changing that tone to saying, yeah, this is okay. This is what you want. This is okay. Like, no, like let's let's provide better. I think it, it really does change the way people behave when you treat them with that type of respect. And And I don't believe respect means hey, everyone just do whatever you want. That's not how society works. That's not, I don't think that's loving at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe as a final, I don't know if, yeah, I, I have two final kind of questions. One is just, and you spoke to Holy House at the beginning, kind of the, the nuts and bolts of where you're active, but in terms of actual buildings, so where's Holy House right now? What's a plan? And then I guess, obviously, what can people do to help? Is it just money? I mean, money's I mean, good. Cold hard cash is always helpful. Yeah, but, but like, do you, are you yeah. looking for people? Because yeah. I mentioned it, this to my wife and she was like, oh, we should, you know, get our daughter and go down. I was like, I yeah, I don't know if they want us down yeah. there or, or if we're, you know, I don't know how to cook. Uh, yeah. So I guess one is the number of buildings you're in, the plans is an expansionary plan and, and what people can do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, over the last year and a half, we expanded into nine buildings, um, six last year alone. So we are operating, we have three in the downtown east side and on the edge of Chinatown, which you got to come visit as we have the Veterans Manor and Shiloh House and Alexander House. Uh, so that's low-income seniors who are at risk or who um, low, very low income. And we provide our support there. And then uh, across Vancouver, we have a couple more. We have one in Burnaby. And then uh, we partner with Union Gospel Mission as well. So we work with transitional housing, uh, people coming out of recovery. And then we also have one family site out in Surrey. So we work with kids in an after-school program and 75 uh, low-income family townhouses out there. In terms of what we need, honestly, and yes, of course, finances are so helpful. What, what happened was we expanded so quickly and we received funding from the government for our staff. So we are funded for our staffing model, uh, which I'm so thankful for. So when people make donations, it goes 100% towards the programs. It goes towards getting someone birthday cake every month when we have a birthday party. It goes towards um, putting gas in our van so we can go visit people in the hospital. It goes towards, you know, bringing people on outings. We love to use our vans to take seniors to stay active. So we go, My, I see on Instagram all the time, my staff are taking them to like Pacific Spirit Regional Park. And, you know, they go to these great places and they want to go on adventures and they want to get out of the neighborhood. They want to feel safe. But it also goes towards helping um, when somebody moves in, we create a welcome package. We want to set them up for success and say, we're so glad you live here. This is your home now. Um, and so, you know, we set them up with like pots and pans and sheets and pillows and blankets and all the things that will make you feel at home, but also some treats, right? Some coffee and cookies and things. Uh, so, so donations are so appreciated, just that our services will never be interrupted because we do rely on government funding for our staffing model. Um, those donations 100% mean that our programs will go on. It means that Seniors have a reason to get up in the morning and take a shower and comb their hair because they're going to morning coffee to see their friends. Uh, and so we're really appreciative of that. In terms of volunteers, we're really excited this year. We're bringing back our volunteer program kind of in full force. Obviously, with COVID, we had to keep starting and stopping. And so we love to have people come in. And sometimes that means helping us prepare and set up 
for a program. Sometimes that means sitting down and having a cup of coffee with a senior and and just talking and giving them that sense of community and normalcy in their lives. It brings fresh life. It brings, you know, uh, new people in. And so we're really excited about that. And and people can sign up to volunteer at wholewayhouse.ca um, as well as donations there as well. Um, but we're really thankful. As I said before, I really believe in, and it's funny because I work in a charity, but I really believe in like social capitalism in the way that like the better our economy is doing in Vancouver, the better our society is doing, the more we're able to help and reach mm-hmm. out. And, and I've always been raised that way. Like, when we have, how can we help? But if I don't have, I can't help. Right. And so I really believe in that. And and as I shared with with um, the kitchen table group, like Ask for Luigi and the Poorhouse and and the Dirty Apron and everybody coming on board, if they hadn't been successful in their businesses, they wouldn't have been able to help us during that time, and we wouldn't have been able to serve over eight hundred seniors, you know, meals. So I think to me that cycle is just so natural that it's how how do we work together? It shouldn't just be government pumping out money all the time, but like, how can we work together? How can we use our, I always like say time, talent, and treasure. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there, but Jenny, we do have this section called the five wire, five lighthearted questions that mm. we end every show with. Okay. Uh, can you stick around for that? Yeah, absolutely. The five wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay, so question number one is, what is one book that you've read recently that you would recommend for our listeners? Mm. We are reading right now Dare to Lead by Brene Brown uh, as, a, as a leadership team, and I love it. It is so challenging and so great. It's actually helped me in so many difficult conversations that I like to not have to deal with. And I'm like, no, just go head on, get in there. That's uh, my wife's favorite book, I think. So, is yeah, it? That's, a, really? that's a good one. She's a great leader. Tackling difficult conversations. We were talking about this this morning. It's often, what did you say? You had a good line. Time doesn't... Oh, uh, yeah. But time doesn't age well. Or time doesn't age no, well. No, that's, no. That's bad news a, do, don't... Bad news doesn't age well. Mm. That's what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, my goodness. I believe in rhythms. So a lot in our culture, we talk about balance, like people are trying to find balance. I don't believe balance exists. I believe in rhythms. And I think when you have a set rhythm, no matter if what season you're in, a busy season, a hard season, an easy season, if you keep those rhythms steady, then it's going to stay flowing. So whether your rhythm is to you know wake up and exercise for 30 minutes and then meditate or whatever it is, it shouldn't change with the season. Um, so I just believe in like rhythms. Oh, keep the rhythm going. Keep the rhythm going. Like surfing or something. Yeah. You know, I don't, because balance doesn't, I don't know. We look at, we have four seasons. They're not balanced. It's not like partially cold and partially hot. It's like, it's a rhythm. Right. We follow a rhythm. And I think it's, it makes it easier to like hit the wave. You're like, okay, big waves coming. I got to keep this rhythm. And I learned that during COVID. I, I lost some of my rhythms and I, and I even like struggled with my health physically. Um, And I was like, got to get back on those rhythms. That's really important. And like taking that quiet time for myself. That's a great one. Question number three, what have you been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? I watched, okay, 
this is embarrassing. I watched, um, oh, what was it called? From Scratch on Netflix. The girl goes to Italy and falls in love with this Italian guy. So, of course, I was like, oh, swooning. But... <laughs> Then it turns really sad. And my mom had told me to watch it. And I took a picture of myself, like, full-blown, ugly crying. I was like, I have not cried this hard in a really long time. I was like, you are mean. I can't believe you told me to watch this. So that was my, that was my binge. Scratch. From scratch. Yeah, he's a chef from Italy. So, of course, you know, I was like, that, it's not a terrible idea. <laughs> I, I had a, a friend of mine tell me the other day that his wife is really into Kore- Korean uh, dramas right now, oh. which I, apparently are on Netflix. And he's like, don't ever get into them. He's like, I can no never live up to the romance of Korean dra- men or <laughs> these dramas. He said it's just, it's like r- ruined his... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's Expectations a, are out of whack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Favorite band or music? I don't know. I love music. Um, I recently was in Nashville and I'll just say oh, overall, wow. like country music, it brought back my love for country music again. So nice. I think I just, I got to dive deep into that again. And was Nashville, uh, our other brother took a trip there and was like, it was unbelievable. It, so the city itself, coming from Vancouver, it's hard to be impressed with. Like the city's pretty ugly. It's not like a pretty city, but major construction happening for sure. Big real estate for, I was like, what? I was like, I just counted 17 cranes yeah. in this like three block radius. But the music scene was so yeah, cool. Yeah, culturally, it would probably be unreal. It was unreal. Like, you can just walk from bar to bar, and it's just amazing band, amazing band. I mean, like, it was really cool. And just fun. Like, the atmosphere is fun, very chill. So I'll cop out a little bit and say country music right now. <laughs> I've been in, really into it. Yeah. And, and last but not least, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that has had a positive impact in, in the last little while here. Nineteen ninety nine. I just bought this thing on Amazon, and it stretches my neck. You like lay on it, and you hang your neck backwards. Phenomenal. Change changing my life daily right now. I'm like, oh, I can turn my neck again. <laughs> That's actually a good one. Nineteen ninety nine. Thank you. I love Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jenny, you mentioned your website before, but it's worth uh, asking again. People that are interested in helping out or learning more about Holy House, how, how, what's the best way? Holywayhouse.ca. All of our, we are a registered charity. So any donation receives a tax receipt. And then of course, if you want to come down for a tour, you want to volunteer, love to show you around as a great way to get connected to the community. And we're always looking for helpers. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. And thank you for coming down to Holy House. Honestly, I really appreciate that. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was great. Awesome. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House and holyhouse.ca. Really enjoyed that conversation and having Jenny in the studio. Ball of fire. You know what? Yeah, it was so great having her here. I just want to make two points very clearly. One is, you know, we're guilty as guilty as anyone, I would say, you know, pontificating about how to fix things and what we need to do and and everything else. Jenny is literally, we you mentioned like we went and saw what they're doing. She is in the trenches. She's been there for a decade or more. And honest to I say doing God doing God's work all the time. That she's doing God's work. There's no question about it. <laughs> That's one thing, and they have proven results. And two, and I don't know if we mentioned this in the introduction, they need volunteers and they also need donations. So the way you can do this, and we'll be talking about this moving forward because we really want to get behind Holy House and holyhouse.ca is go to their website. You can donate. It's very easy to do. You get a charitable tax receipt if you donate more than $25. 
And also you can donate your time if you don't have uh, the funds or are not interested or want to to get out and, and help build community and become part of something bigger. And you can do that at their website, wholewayhouse.ca. It's worth checking it out. You know, I feel like we've talked a lot over the years about the challenges in the city but very seldom do we talk about the solutions. And I actually feel well, like- Or we talk, was, to talk about solutions, you know, from, you know, I, I was- Adding housing or, yeah. or on and on and on. But really, this is something that has come up a lot, the downtown east side, particularly over COVID with a lot of guests. And I feel like Jenny, it's hard not to see success in her approach. And it's hard not to want to get behind it. Exactly. Inspiring stuff. That is for sure. What else do we have before we cut for the day? We have our new website. This is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can now dig into our episodes in a way that you couldn't before. The search function, you can organize. uh, You can do developer-only content. content. You You can do investor-only content. Landlord content. It's just a great place to dig into our back catalog. And we've been doing this since 2016. There's a significant back it's catalog. It's overwhelming. And a lot of the information produced is evergreen, meaning it's, you know, stuff from 2016 is still relevant today, especially if you're searching by topic. So VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. I'd also encourage everyone to sign up to the Livewire. This is our yes. weekly mailer. You get stats before anyone else, different types of stats, deal of the month, VIP pre-sale access. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the Livewire. And we also, of course, have private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free, available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Best resource, best way to search for real estate. I feel like the micro machine man sometimes when I say that. Remember those commercials? I do. Yeah. Uh, the other Not thing, quite as fast. <laughs> the other thing I will uh, mention is the sold plan because right now we are sitting here first week of March. That's right. The market's heating up. The inventory is nowhere to be seen, but there's activity out there. Yeah. And somebody out there is thinking about selling. Get in touch for the sold plan. It stands for start on launch date. So you start on launch date. You We got three weeks back. It's basically a checklist that you got to do to get ready for the market. It's a phenomenal resource. We took a long time to write it yep. and thought about it for a very long well, time. Well, it's based on years of experience. Yeah. And what you need to do is you just need to go over to our site and you can sign up for the sold plan or send us an email. Get in touch. You can always uh, give us a phone call. Matt, how can people get in touch with you? You can get in touch with me easily at 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And once more before we cut, HolyHouse.ca. If you liked what you heard today, check it out, wholewayhouse.ca. There's videos about what they're doing over there. There's ways you can donate. There's ways you can donate your time. It is something to get behind. That is for sure. Finally, we are giving away five shirts this week on Instagram. We gave five no shirts deal. away uh, last week. All um, And we're doing, we're, I'm rolling them out systematically. A question in the stories based on five wire questions. So if you want to answer a five wire question, with your chance to win a t-shirt, you know, we're being pretty generous. With we're t-shirts. being pretty generous. And all you got to do is go to at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. Find us there. Fantastic community. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.